0: Hello, my friends, this is Brian Q. Davis broadcasting from the Sales Warrior Podcast, a conversation about dominating your marketplace without sacrificing your body, your marriage, your children, or your soul. And today's topic is this, the missing ingredient for spiritual unity. Sit back and relax and let's get started. So again, continuing on the uh, the sermon series here, uh, I'm just sharing sermons that are coming from uh, our little church, Trinity Church Oak Cliff here in Dallas, Texas. This is from October 17th. And uh, focuses on a conversation, a question around unity. Unity. If you if you think about this this quest, right? This is what you hear in politics and in the news and everything. And there's always been this desire for unity, and yet it's so difficult to find. See, so much of the time we think that unity if we could only get someone else to do something then we could be unified if i could only get the uh the other political party to do something then we could be unified if i could only get my wife or husband to do something then we would be unified and uh i'm gonna have you consider there's a missing ingredient and that is specifically the conversation the topic of this sermon what is the missing ingredient why can't we find unity and what is required, and what are the what's the cost of not finding unity, and what is required to find it? That's what we'll discuss here in this uh, sermon, and I uh, hope you find some value in it. God bless. Good morning. Good morning, Uh Brittany, thank you so much. That's uh, that was beautiful. Um, you got You got a guess, sister. You got a guess, sister. Like, huh? Thank you. <laughs> don't make me cry. No, that's I mean, okay. <laughs> I don't cry too. Um, first, I just want to um, I just want to say a couple of prayers to some folks that are that are sick right now and that uh, have been on our, on my heart that have just come into my, my field in the last uh, 24, 48 hours. We're just going to bring those up. I have a list here. Um, just join me in prayer for these all these folks. Uh, Lord, uh, first of all, thank you for again this time and space where we get to gather. In your name with brothers and sisters to do what you commanded us to do, to worship, to pray, read your word, read it out loud, and join together in the pursuit of spiritual harmony, brothers and sisters, and you. Lord, this morning I'd ask that you, uh, you, you be with little Roger and Linnea um, and Orly, our, our buddy. Uh, just, just heal them, surround them with your spirit, comfort them. Get rid of any kind of sickness and let the recovery be rapid. Lord, I want to also thank you for uh, freeing Brittany of this, uh, this, this migraine. Amen. What a joy. What a way to see you work. Uh, Lord, I want to thank you for, uh, for a, a brother of mine, uh, Jason Brangers, just for him being able to rest this week, and I would ask that his health continues to improve. I um, just for some requests for a distant brother, Jessica and Joseph, and that they be comforted our brother Daniel and Bethany, who we're happy to see, um, that they be supported in in all the new chapters they have coming. And Lord, I ask that you bless those children down the hall, Um, those little flaming arrows (laughs) that we are working every day to be the fathers and the mothers of, to equip them to be emissaries of your truth. You're saying Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. All right. So uh, yesterday we had our, our little um, uh, walk and talk down by with God down by the Trinity River, and we had a guest, and it was beautiful. And Andrew, if you happen to see this, thank you, brother. Um, he uh, we, had a, we had, a, had a new person come come with us, and he left me with this, and I was thinking about it as I was thinking about this room today and what we're doing here. He said the takeaway that he spent like he spent. We spent an hour just just being with God in the scripture. And he came back and he said, you know, the thing I'm left with is that the gospel is going to grow no matter what. Amen. Whether we're asleep or we're awake, the gospel is going to grow. Right. We're not the growers. We're not the ones that make the make it go from seed to sapling. We're just the planters. We get the opportunity to be the ones that plant. So uh, as we're commanded, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to plant. We're going to plant some seeds. We're going to plant some seeds in the heart's. Of the brothers and sisters that are here to hopefully equip you as you go forward into the next week and then the the, the, That this message whoever it meets online whenever it meets them um, That it equips you too And it uh, it may be uh, it may be years from now. Um, We never know Um, But (laughs) and on that note papa ron had a powerful revelation the other day yesterday too As we were standing there the sunrise the sun was coming up and the shadows were very long And he said, you know, it looks like my shadow is like a hundred yards long and he said, what this, what this revealed to me is a reminder of that the closer we stand to the light of Jesus Christ, we have no idea of the length of the shadow that's going out. Amen. We'll never see it all. So again, just even on the online, with the power of online and uh, online media, you never know how far the conversation that we're getting to share here today, who it might reach, when it might reach them one day. So uh, the gospel will advance. But I'm going to start with something and I'm going to give you a, it's kind of a pop quiz. It's kind of a, you know, pay attention, um, you know, be on your feet. See if you see if you catch this. I pledge allegiance to my flag and my republic for which it stands. One nation, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Something missing. Under God. Under God. Thank you. Guess what? That was the original Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know if you knew that it was the original Pledge of Allegiance and uh, It It was written by actually a Reverend and you kind of might want to call out Reverend Francis in 1892 and say hey, man What happened like we <laughs> what, What's going on there Reverend? Uh, I saw it was a I thought for sure like who wrote this I mean, Reverend Francis? Oh, well, come on, man. Uh, so this this bothered a lot of people um, and, and in it, it, nothing changed until 1954. And I started to look at this about what, what was this, what was going on? How did this, how did this, this missing ingredient be left out of this, this statement? And I don't know how that happened. I don't know how it, how it happened, but I can tell you the story of how it got back in. Uh, And before 1954, apparently there had been a lot of efforts to put under God back in the Pledge of Pledge of Allegiance. They all had failed. Um, the final successful push came with Greg, uh, Reverend Greg Doherty. And what had happened, he was a pastor in Washington, DC. And there was a tradition that, that, the, uh, that the presidents would go on, uh, they would honor Lincoln's birthday by attending church services where Lincoln attended. And so on February 7, 1954, President Eisenhower was sitting in Lincoln's pew in that church. Um, the church's pastor, Reverend Doherty, delivered a sermon based on the Gettysburg Address but entitled A New Birth of Freedom, and he argued that the nations might not might, uh, nations might would lay in the arm in the arms, not in its arms, not in its military, but in but rather in its spirit and higher purpose. Well, this resonated with uh, President Eisenhower. In fact, the uh, the Reverend said from a sermon he said there was something missing in the pledge and that which was missing was the characteristic and definition the defi- definitive fa- factor in the american way of life he cited lincoln's words from the gettysburg address which were this is lincoln that these dead shall not have died in vain that this nation under god shall have a new birth of freedom and that the government of the people by the people for the people shall not perish from this earth well president eisenhower heard that and President Eisenhower had recently been baptized, just in the previous year. Now, remember, President Eisenhower is coming off of just nine, eight, eight you know, nine, ten, eleven years before the horrors of World War II. Uh, he responded enthusiastically when he heard this message, and the very next day he went and made a motion to uh, to have "under God" added to the Pledge of Allegiance, and it passed. And he had a statement where he said from this day forward, the millions of our millions of our school children will uh, will daily proclaim in every city. Uh, in this way, we are reaffirming the transcendence of religious faith in America's heritage and future. And this way, we shall constantly strengthen those spiritual weapons, which forever will be our country's most powerful resource in peace or war. Amen. That's kind of hard that the, the phrase under God was incorporated on June 14th, 1954. So I had you consider like I was thinking about this. What, what, what was it where you have Lincoln and he's saying he's acknowledging in a place he's acknowledging under God. And then you find Eisenhower and he's acknowledging under God. What was, what was the commonality between these two things? And if you, I was like, well, they had both just gone through horrific wars, right? They had both just been witnessed a horrific division on one hand, division inside of our country. On another hand, division across the entire world where frankly the failure to acknowledge the fear of God and be under God had led to horrific catastrophe where these leaders of men had come to a place where they said, look, the only thing I know to do, perhaps the only thing, if I do anything, I'm going to point people to be this country and what we're doing be under God. It's the response that both of them had when things got the worst. Their response was under God. That is a fear of God. And we're going to talk about the unifying power of that fear today. Because that's what Paul has for us, among other things, in Philippians. So, Lord, join me. Lord, uh, thank you again for your scriptures. Thank Thank you for your Apostle Paul who wrote these things down so that we might have them now. Uh, Thank you for the Holy Spirit that breathed through these words, through your prophet and your apostle Paul, um, to bring these things all the way forward to us today, that we might be able to bring uh, what you have for us into 2021, into our homes, into our marriages, into our relationship with you. your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen so last the, two weeks ago before the wonderful and gracious visit from Pastor Brandon um, we had a conversation around where do Christians unify and if we got to take a running start we were in Philippians 21-27 uh, where uh, and, yeah, where, he, where Paul was talking about uh, he was looking for them to stand firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and there was an acknowledgement that that it has been granted to you for that you should suffer for the sake of Christ. That, that in that suffering, we talked about this idea of common suffering, where suffering in, for, in and for the sake of Christ is where, as a place where Christians can unify. It's not in the win, as I talked about in the rugby game. It's in, that, it's in the struggle. If you're not in the game, you don't have anything to win. So that's the place that we can unify. is in that struggle, in those common places that we find ourselves, when we find ourselves on the side of Christ, we are immediately going to be marginalized and persecuted, and in that struggle, in that struggle, we can find unity with our brothers and sisters, in that place. But it goes beyond that because as we move on to chapter two, which is where we're going to be today, chapter two verses one through 11 um, We can see that the that the unity that's required requires another level of 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 awareness. But what happens before we move there, what happens when we have a lack of unity, when we think about a lack of unity? Well, I mean, we could point to what Eisenhower and Lincoln dealt with, which was mass destruction at a global or national scale. But when we think about the common struggle that we might all be in right now, it may not be. We're obviously not at war per se right now. We're not dealing with that type of conflict, but I'd ha- you know, we all know that we have some level of conflict somewhere in our lives all the time. Amen. And we might send sit here today and go, well, why isn't it working? Why isn't my marriage working? Why isn't my marriage what it, what it needs to be? Why isn't the relationship with my children what I feel like it should be? Why is there conflict there? Perhaps I'm struggling physically. Like there's something that's going on, right? We, Brittany experienced this. She's in a war with a migraine that, fortunately that was released. Um, maybe your business or maybe just even your purpose. You're just at war with that. What do I do right now? Where am I supposed to go with my life? What's going on with my business? The sales are up, sales are down. It's conflict. I have you consider that this missing ingredient, when this missing ingredient of a fear of God is not present in that part of your conversation. You're going to be in a loop a Constant struggle. That's a constant loop That's frankly where the unbeliever finds themselves for years and years and years. They don't have a way out They just find themselves in this loop and what it looks like in the most most uh, Most illustrative symptom of this is this this posture that says Well, if only someone would, then I could. If my wife would just, if my husband would just, if my kids would just, then I could. If the government would just do this thing, if my business would just, if my boss would just, if those people over there would just do this thing, then I could. You guys feel me on this? You guys, guys, like, this is everywhere. This is our culture now. Is everyone looking over there and trying to make someone else do something so they can then do what they think they need to do? What's the word for that? That's called victimhood. Victimhood. It's victim mindset. Victim mindset is when you require others to do something so that you can rise. So that you can move to a better place. Have you considered that victimhood is an act of self-worship? Good. It's self-worship. It's back to Papa Ron's favorite saying. Worshipping our, contemplating our navels, or the biblical version. <laughs> Worshiping our bellies, which is later here in Philippians. <laughs> um, look, we know this culture, this, this, this mindset, this victim mindset plays, is playing out Heavily across our culture right now saying everyone must do something so I can (laughs) It's the mindset that leads to horrific numbers of aborted babies Me over him or her That's a that's a victim mindset. That's a self mindset It's the same mindset that says well the Bible's you know We got to interpret probably translated. It's probably some things that have, it's this discussion that says, well, you know, the Bible is, you know, is, it's probably got some stuff in it and it's the view of God that says, well, you know, God isn't powerful enough to make sure that exactly his word is transmitted. Amen. What's the negative effect of your, on your spiritual life from this mindset? Again, you stay in the loop. Worshiping yourself with a mindset on earthly things. And what have what can start with a moment of that in a day or a morning can turn into days, weeks, months, years. And it might not be your whole life. It might just be one area. And that's probably where most Christians find themselves is that, you know, at large, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm able to recognize I've been redeemed, but, but there might be some little place where the enemy's got you in a loop about, well, I'm a victim over here. I'm waiting for them to do something. The question is, what are you going to do? Like, How long are you going to stay in that loop? Because one day you're going to have to be evaluated before Christ. And all the scoreboard's going to come up. And you're going to be able to go, well, I was in a victim over there for a while, but then thank God I killed it. Or there's some people that go their whole life and they stay a victim their entire life in some area. And they're going to have to account for that. O ye of little faith. So my question is, how long in that area, if you've got that area, which raise your hand if you do, are you going to stay focused on them instead of a fear of him? This is why this happens. The lack of a fear of God in that area. What do we mean when you say fear of God? Awe, reverence, respect. Hard to wrap our little tiny human minds around. Really hard. Amen. To really get that you have to I mean that's frankly that's one of the reasons like we go on these little walk and talks on Saturdays is just simply to get space like space just for a moment to hear and, and, and literally we are physically I moving mean, for the gentlemen have come with us like we literally go to a place of big space that's not accidental that's just it's meant to try to just get in the same kind of universe of of the the, the immensity of God. But we're told, we're told like this equation, this equation for unification is found in the fear of God. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Deuteronomy 10.12 And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Here it is. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul. So this this fear is foundational. And without it, we can never expect unity. So that's why Paul admonishes us so strongly over and over. And so that's where we're going to go. We are going to get to Philippians <laughs> right now. So we're going to start off there in uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 1. We're going to just take it... Uh, Piece by piece. But what you're going to see here is there's three, three components to this. Really four. If I can get my notes. Is first we've got this encouragement to unity. And then we've got some instructions. And then we've got an example. And then we've got the guarantee. And we're going to walk through what those look like. So uh, join me in chapter 2, verse 1. And remember, Paul is speaking to the church of Philippi, encouraging them. And we're going to find out a little bit something about the church of Philippi two right here. That didn't occur to me until I was studying this. Um, but we understand, we find out what's kind of going on there. Overall, the lesson, that he's encouraging them. He, he's not too mad at them. They're not doing too bad. But there, there's a couple things happening here. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. So we're going stop right there. He's basically saying, so if there's any encouragement, he's basically saying, look, if you guys don't, like I'm going to give you a big letter, but if you don't do anything else, do this thing. Like, just do this. Okay, guys? You got your attention? And, he, and then he, he talks about this idea of this, like the same mind. And it's beyond being like, oh, we, you know, we like the same restaurant. Like, or, or we go to the same church. Or we're, we like the same football team. Or we like the same, the same things. Right? We have the same, we like the realness, we vote the same way. Whatever that is. This is, the, the Greek here, which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, but the Greek here would be best translated, as I heard one pastor uh, say, it's like the same attitudeness, the same set of attitudes, the same framework of the world, the same, the same. And as he, he backs it up here with the same love, like the same fire, like the same compelling reason to move forward in your life, the same thing that's governing the way you see the world the same thing that's governing the actions you take or don't take. The same mindset you have when you're considering others. And the same way you operate across the board. Like, that's what he's saying. He's like, guys, brothers and sisters, get on the same page. They're like, cool, where? Like Same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. Do this one thing. Just do this. Otherwise, you're never going to be unified. You're never going to be unified. You'll be divided. The spiritual unity, again, it starts in this place of a fear of God. And we're going to come back to that. But he he then says, okay, here's the instructions. Real simple, but not easy. He says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not, on, not look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Conceit. Do nothing from a position of I'm higher than you. I'm going to do something that's going to make me higher than someone else. That's not the way that's not where that's not where the place where God plays from. And he's encouraging his, his brothers and sisters here not to do that. Now, the fact that he's having to tell them that gives you a hint about what's going on in Philippi. They're probably getting a little bit ambitious. If you remember the population there, we've got former soldiers. We've got Lydia, who is an entrepreneur. She's a trader in buying purple goods. We've got people that have probably been involved in commerce. They're like, OK, let's go, guys. Let's like let's dial it up. Let's let's build this thing. All right. We're, we're excited. Right. There, there could be some of that. There couldn't there, and and previously Paul had mentioned how he was dealing with a little bit of this already with others that preach the gospel or preach Jesus out of, um, where is it? Uh, Envy and rivalry, right? Well, that church is doing this, and then we've got this church, like all of that mindset is not the place where Paul is instructing the brothers and sisters here to play. He's saying, though, he's saying, Um, Drop the whole thing of trying to do it out of a competition with others um, or for what you might be recognized for. But instead, be aware. Be aware of what? The interest of others. You'll have no hope of spiritual unity while you're worshiping yourself. Inside of your marriage. Inside of our church. Inside of the world. In your business. Like, forget about it. That's between Christians. That's between believers. We've got a different conversation with those that are not believers. We got like we're not going to be unified with them. We've got a different mission for them. But for brothers and sisters, inside of our marriages, I mean the place that comes like is home at the closest is right there, is the spiritual unity between husband and wife. That model. So my question would be: like, where right now in your, in, in your life, are you playing the victim? Like, where is that place? Consider it. Like, there's some place. We all have it. It's not a, not a beatdown. It's just we all have that. And it's a place where we need to go work. Like, that's what Paul's telling them. Go look there. Right? Um, and consider the consequences of maintaining that mindset. Uh, there's a place where the minute you become more aware of others than yourself, your energy shifts. But then he says, then, so once he's given these instructions, it sounds, okay, cool, good, we get it. Like, consider others, don't do it for myself, awesome, like, sounds like, great, so easy. Except he says, look, you don't get it. Because the, the example that you need to follow, the example I'm about to lay out for you, is, is universe shaking. You've got to recognize, number one, who did this, and number two, what he did. And that, again, is hard to wrap our minds around. It really is. I, it's, it was, as I was studying this, it was, I was th- trying to just sit there and think, how can I wrap my mind around the gravity of what this, this is saying? This next section, um, this next section is is what they, is, let's see, is this it? Yes. Um, this next section was often, was often sung as a hymn in the early churches because of the way it describes um, Christ's deity and what he did. So we move on to verse 5. Having this mind, remember the mind that he asked us to have. Which mind? The mind of, that is unified. The one that, is the, one that is, is, is the same set of parameters. He's saying have that, but what is that? Right? Do you guys see this? He's saying you guys have the same mindset, have the same set of attitudes, the same way of seeing the world, but what is it? I'm about to give you the formula. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ. It's the only way a person on earth can get this mindset. Have this mind among yourselves, in your, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count himself equal, uh, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now what do we have to recognize here? The the it's one thing to be put yourself under subjugation of an authority. Right? Even your father and mother, right? They have a there's a there's a there's an authoritative, natural part of the universe, if that's the way we we're made. We have a father and mother, they're kind of we're told to honor them, that's a that's a that's a natural structure. We might be under the authority of a boss, maybe under the authority of a government, authority of elders, that whatever that might be. But this is different. This is different. See, Jesus, the Son of God, was equal to the Father. And then subjugated himself. Amen. So the subjugation, the gravity of the subjugation is, is equal to where he's coming from. Which is equality with the sovereign of the universe. Amen. But some might say, well, okay, then he was here. As a baby, and he was here on on Earth, and you know he didn't have all the powers he'd have got. He had limited himself. No, he didn't limit himself. He didn't limit himself. He had just restrained himself. And I and I it, this took me back to two passages that I just I, I love that demonstrate the demonstrate where Jesus had another choice. He had a choice and. His power would have made it very easy for him to make make it easy. Um, But his response was to restrain, restrain. He wasn't limited. He could have done it, but it was to restrain. If we look at Matthew 26, 53, this is where Jesus is in the garden. I'll just read it. Jesus said to him, friend, this is why Judas and all the soldiers have just shown up. Jesus said to him, friend, to whom do you do what you came to do? And when they came to him and laid hands on Jesus and seized him, and behold, one of those that were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut his ear off. By the way, he wasn't aiming at his ear, I guarantee you. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? Mm -hmm. So the world sends the army and Jesus says, look, well, you know, I don't like, hey, Peter, back off again, like again, like I got it. I've got the power, but I'm choosing this direction. And that same, same scenario, John 18, three, six, another moment inside of that. That's just, uh, it, it strikes me to the heart. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, watch this, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him and was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't limited in any way. He was just restrained. Imagine the, the level of, like, that's like, imagine an ant that's like biting you. And you could step on that, but you don't because you love that. But the ant's causing a lot of pain. A lot of pain. And you don't. That's the model like that's like there's places right now where we have the capacity to do something. And I have to consider there's probably an opportunity to restrain that choice. God's given us gifts. He's given us capacity. He's given us resources, He's given us all kinds of things. He's even given us the word of God, the Holy Spirit on our hearts. Like where right now do we need to like probably restrain what the world would say? You have a right to be angry about that. You have a right to do that. You should be. Hit him back. Right? That's not what Jesus that's not the model that Jesus has laid out for us. And that's not the model that Paul is pointing us to. But then we have to go, okay, well if if that third person of the Godhead has humbled himself underneath the Father in this way and self self self-selected his restraint, we then have to look at what does he do with it? And yes, it's one thing to just not blow up the soldiers and not deploy the angels. But it's another thing to be obedient. Amen. Verse eight, and, he, and, found, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And again, I had trouble here. How do you ground yourself in the reality of that? It's hard. The only thing I got to was, you have to take a minute and imagine someone, a child, husband, wife, brother, sister, mother, father, perhaps. Someone you love more than anything in the world. That person, right now in your life, being presented with a choice. Their life or yours. And you having to watch as they step in front of your punishment or your judgment or your death. I start this is tough. I started thinking about one of my children being beaten, spit on, humiliated, in public, alone, nobody by their side. Why while I watch from a distance? While well, I'm too chicken to run up and help. And then my child is put on a cross. Naked. That's the part they don't show you with all the pictures of Jesus. Jesus was naked on the cross. That was the Roman tradition. Nothing. It completely exposed. But guess what? Jesus had nothing to hide. <laughs> and in that place, mocked in public. And exchanged for me. For you. When you're in that place, when you're in that gravity, you can't worship yourself anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for that moment. For going to war for us. But then comes the joy. What's the, what's the Father's response to that level of obedience? Well, any, any of us that have, have children, we all, everybody here has children. Okay, I can say it. Everyone here has children. What is the response of a parent when your child is like 100% obedient? Like even in a tough situation. It's rare, right, brother? Really? <laughs> it's rare. But in that moment, we've all felt it, right? Where there was that moment where the child just does something and it's just, Wow. It's exaltation. Like we'll do anything. It's the bit, it's the, there's, that's why God, that's one of the reasons God gives us children. Is so we have a tiny ounce of what it's like to be him. Right? We're most of the time running around, banging the walls, hurting ourselves, knocking people over, being crazy, not listening, running off the cliff. Like that's God looking down at us like, I'm just the same way, man. Like you're just the same. Yep. You're just the same way. But then there's that moment where our child is obedient and he and, and they come to us and they thank us for something. Amen. They come say, Thank you, Papa. Thank you for reading me that book. Thank you for that toy. Thank you for spending time with me. Thank you for that thing. And then they then they then they, they do the thing we say we ask them to do something and they just do it. RARE. But isn't it a great feeling? Let's watch the father's, let's watch the father's response. To the sun right here. Verse 9. Therefore, God has exalted, highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and other, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. What does that mean? First of all, he's gone from the lowest place in human history to the highest place in the universe. The pathway to the highest place in the universe was through the pit. Through the willingness to go to war for those he loved. Those that hated him. And he still did it. He still climbed that hill. And God loved that obedience. Because God said, you're the only one that can do it. He asked for this cup to be passed for me. God said, You're the only one that can do it. And He did for us, 2021, for the brothers and sisters sitting here, for those listening. He did that. And God loves Him for it. He loves His Son. He loves His Son. It broke His heart, but He did it. But look at the result. There's a couple things here. One, harmony. Every, every knee shall bow in heaven, earth, under the earth. Everyone, I don't care. And at this point, this is an indictment on those that frankly don't believe or don't understand. You may say this isn't real. You may say this doesn't, you know, all, it doesn't, it's not going to matter. At some point, it's not going to matter. You're going to bow. Your tongue is going to confess. <laughs> I was wrong. I don't want to be on that side. That's why we're planting seeds. That if you're hearing this at some point in the future, like this is why you this is where the urgency comes from. Like the, we, We've all been equipped with seeds to go and plant those seeds. And that's where it comes on the, the Friday, the morning conversation with the person that the Holy Spirit puts in your way on Thursday morning that doesn't know anything about this. There's a moment there to plant a seed. This is why the urgency, because they will bow. They will confess. Amen. But we want to save them from the judgment that's coming. Amen. But there will be harmony and they will be under the authority of the king. So, how do we put this into action? Again, I'd encourage you, ask yourself, where's one place that I'm going to make a commitment to stop worshiping, my, worshiping myself and my victimhood? I'm just going to stop. I'm going to flip the script. No longer a victim. I'm going to own it. I'm going to let that situation that might be tough push me to him. Lean on him. And what's one thing you can do in the next 24 hours to put that thing under God? What's one thing that you can do in the next 24 hours to put your marriage under God? Number one for married couples. I had this model that laid out to me recently that, that, that if you want to grow closer as a couple in a, in a, in a, in a marriage... That will happen in the unity, in the, in the joint unity of a common fear of God. If you don't have that, there's no hope for your marriage. Build on that first. But here's the encouragement. Here's the encouragement. And that's why we're joining here. That's why, that's why the church. That's why the church. We're, that's part of what we're saying is we're here under a common, we're all brothers and sisters under the, we're checking the box that yes, we all do fear that fear God. We're on the same team. And when we do that, when we start to build from that base, then that leads into the next level, which is from from spiritual unity, it begets spiritual harmony. Okay. We talked a couple of weeks ago about this idea: of one is none, two is one. That was the Navy Seal guy. Told me he said never take a room by one person; always go two. One is none, two is one. That's kind of scriptural. Where two or three, two or more gathered, there he is. Okay, that plays out. What is he saying? He's saying do this together. So if I've got two people, two or more people, unified under a common fear of God, well, now that opens up a new game. We can start to pray together. We can start to act together. We can start to do his work together. We can start to be in a harmony. The way music works, we can start to, it's not not this thing where we're in conflict, we're in harmony. And as that song goes out, That leads us to this harmony leads us to a place of spiritual authority, because as we'll see in the next chapter, Paul talks about. Paul talks about. To do these things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. That spiritual harmony leads to a spiritual authority that we are called to bring into the world. Called to be and breathe the light of him into the darkness, into those that don't know him and into those perhaps that do know him but then just need the encouragement and need the love to bring back into a place of spiritual unity. And frankly, if you boil the whole thing down, that's what we're trying to do right here in, the, in Trinity Church. Spiritual unity, beginning spiritual, spiritual harmony that, that equips us to take his spiritual authority out into the world. So, wrap this up. For we know that without a unified fear that places us under God, our nation, our cities, our community, our neighbors, neighborhoods, our marriages, they will not stand. They will be divided and there will be no one that has liberty or justice. But if we turn to the king, recognize what has been paid for us and what has been done and who did it, then we can unify. You can be in harmony of one mind with your brothers and sisters in Christ in your marriage and you will be exalted as a light unto the world. And truly at that time we can say and follow Paul's other instruction, which he says, again I say rejoice and strive to the upwards call, the upwards call to a place of peace, harmony, and authority that surpasses all all understanding. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you Blow open and soften our hearts with a fear of you, an awe, a respect, a reverence. And that in that place, we can look at you side by side with brothers and sisters, our husbands, our wives, our children, our children, our mothers and fathers, and be unified. And in that unification, find the beautiful spiritual harmony that you tell us is there and that frankly you call us to. Where we can count all hardships as joy and know that we are granted suffering, that we may be lights unto the world as slaves under the kingship of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for our brothers and sisters. Please equip the brothers and sisters here and anyone that hears this message with your spirit in their heart. Equip them for that moment where they're called into action. When they feel the push of the Holy Spirit urging them to move, God, I ask that you give them the courage to be obedient. In your son Jesus' name we pray.